Hey, folks, thank you for becoming a member of Cafe Insider. In addition to the new Cafe Insider podcast, we're sharing bonus material from my interviews on Stay Tuned with Preet. This is exclusively for you. Hope you enjoy it. You don't do a lot of topical humor, and, and I think you, no. you talk about that a little bit, but I wanted to ask you a cu- couple of things about that. One is, you did meet President Obama. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I did. I, I was very fortunate. What was that like? So it was my wife. It was fortuitous because my wife was pregnant uh, at the time, and she didn't want to tell anyone. She's an introvert. <laughs> I, this is a joke that's in the book right now. I say, I say my wife is an introvert and I'm an extrovert and extrovert is someone who gets energy from being around other people. And an introvert doesn't like you or, uh, (laughs) or, or she might like you, but she's going to have, she's going to need me to explain why we're leaving the party, which is really my role in, in the marriage. So she didn't, when she got pregnant, she didn't want to tell anybody, but we were, we were lucky enough to be waiting in line to be taking a photo with the president. And I said, we should tell the president that you're pregnant. And she said, all right. And so we get to the front. I say, Mr. President, this is my wife. She's newly pregnant, uh, but don't tell anyone, which, <laughs> which by the way, is a great trick. If you ever meet anyone who you, you know, doesn't really care that much about meeting you is tell them a secret. Like if you ever meet Jack Nicholson, you shouldn't say, what was it like filming Chinatown? You should just say like, I have this weird thing with Kiwi, you know, and then they'll be like, what's, <laughs> what's that all about? You know, next thing you know, you know, you're neck deep in a conversation with about Kiwi with Nicholson. So I said, Mr. President's my wife, Jen, she's newly pregnant, but don't tell anyone. And he perked up. He's the president of the United States. And he perked up and he goes, am I the first to know? And I, and I said, yeah, pretty, pretty good Obama. <laughs> yeah, thanks. I do my best. And, uh, and he goes, uh, he goes, uh, am I the first to know? And I said, uh, uh, yeah. I said, do you have any advice? And he goes, um, we'll get some sleep. And we were like, ha, 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 because he's the president. It wasn't the strongest joke comedically, but, but he's like, you know, he's like your boss times a million. And so he goes, uh, no, actually, I got something. He goes, when you bring him home, the poo doesn't smell. The president said poo. And the moment he said poo, I thought, honestly, this is the greatest day of my life. Like I could die now and I would be fine with it. I make a false move. Secret service shoots me in the head. The moments before I die, I would think the president said poo. We're all just people. And then boom. And then I'm done. And so he goes, uh, when you bring him home, the poo doesn't smell. Doesn't smell like adult poo. Adult poo smells bad. And then he looked at me for <laughs> affirmation. And I said, absolutely, Mr. President, adult poo does indeed smell terrible. Uh, thank you for inviting me to the poo summit of 2015. <laughs> and, uh, and then he Did said, laugh? yeah, we laughed. We laughed at that. We were laughing at that point. And then he goes, uh, he goes, and when you bring them home, babies crave structure with their eating and their sleeping. And if it doesn't work out right away, don't freak out. And the breastfeeding can be a little bit wonky. If it doesn't work out, Right away, don't freak out. And he paused and he thought about it. And he goes, that's actually some pretty good advice. He complimented his own <laughs> advice. And my wife said, my wife is a hilarious person. She said what I believe to be the funniest thing one can possibly say to the president of the United States. She said, if you think of anything else, text us. <laughs> Entirely true. Uh, although I don't know if Obama 
would uh would enjoy that so much i i well no i think he'd enjoy it but i don't think he'd remember it is what i would say about that can i make one observation oh please yeah so you're telling this anecdote just now then i interrupted yeah didn't mean to be rude and i said that's a pretty good that's a pretty good obama and then i noticed you didn't go right back to the joke immediately to the anecdote immediately you kind of it seemed to me bought time you like ummed and odd a little bit to get to back into the anecdote <laughs> yeah is that a trick of the trade or am I overanalyzing? I think that when someone, whether it's an audience or whether it's a conversation and something chimes in, you have to reorient the audience who's listening, the people listening at home or in the car, you have to reorient them to what the story is essentially. I don't know if I adequately did that, but that's definitely part of it is, is that sometimes if, if there's an, is it a forced digression, you have to go, wait a minute, I got to make sure the audience remembers what story we're even in. And, uh, and so that's, that's part of you it. You might even back up and repeat. Exactly. A lot of times you repeat it. Yeah. That's certainly the case on talk shows or, or even, you know, if there's a heckler in the audience, you stop the show and then you go, you know, and, but anyway, we met the president and blah, blah, blah. Right, right. I think one of the, one of the strange things about like, you take that that story for example, and that that was that's a story from 2015, and, and it's five years old. And and you go, you know, it's it's so crazy meeting the president. And now, you know, with the current president, you know, no offense to the current president, it's not even. I don't even think it's that prestigious to meet the president anymore. <laughs> I don't even. I don't even think it's an honor. I don't even think I would go. I think if I were invited, I would say, you know, I got a lot going on. I'm really busy. Like I try to come up with excuses. Like it's an old college friend who you don't really want to see. How do you, uh, how do you deal with hecklers? Is that the worst thing? I remember hearing some comedian oh, talk about um, how terrible it is. Like, you know, most people don't have that in their job. Like, how do you, how do you deal well, with hecklers? It? Well, I, I think the legal equivalent, if I were to guess, would be the judge, right? Yeah, I'm not going to go on record saying the judges are heck are hecklers. But yeah, no, no, yes. no, 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 no. Of course not. Of course not. But who? Okay, in in a legal argument, is the judge the only person who has the right to interrupt? Yeah, basically. I mean, like I, the other side can object and make an objection to an yes. argument. But yeah, no, you're right, and, and particularly not to get weedy, but you know, in in appeals and, and in the Supreme Court, you know, no lawyer ever gets through the prepared argument. They get interrupted by questions from everyone except Clarence Thomas, obviously. But um, yeah, there's there's a lot of reorienting. You got to be quick on your feet. You'll have something prepared. But the other, the, the difference is that the judge has the ability to put you in jail, <laughs> hold you in contempt, whereas the heckler does not. I have a heckler story one time where it was actually, it was a little scary um, because <laughs> and and I wasn't before I tell you the story. I want to point out that I that that uh, sometimes I make this joke again. Before I tell you the story, I want to remind you that you're on my side uh, because it's it's actually very it's very compromising. Like it's it's not something I would do now. It's something that I was early in my career. It's probably ten years ago, fifteen years ago, and I did not say the right thing to a heckler. So. So I was in, I think it was Mohegan Sun Casino performing. And there were these two guys who looked a little bit like mobsters. Like they were tough guys. They were tough guys. And they were with their dates in the front row. And they kept talking during my set. And they were they were kind of talking at me. They weren't shouting, but they kept talking to a point where 
it was distracting to the audience and it was distracting to me. And it was really, it's really hard to develop a flow if people are, are just talking at you while you're talking. It's like a conference call or something. And, and, and so the way I usually deal with hecklers is actually from a human perspective. I go, hey, do you guys mind not talking when, you know, when I'm talking because it's sort of confusing for the audience. They don't know who to listen to. They just kept talking. They, they kept going. And so finally, I suggested uh, that maybe they should just leave with their dates who I implied were prostitutes. So here's the, they, here's where Wait, the you mis- <laughs> here's where here's where the mistake uh, was made. I said you should probably leave with your prostitutes, and uh, and uh, <laughs> and that was a mistake. That was a mistake. I don't stand by it's a that. Strong implication. Strong implication. A strong implication. To this day, I would never say anything like that on stage. But it was. We were at a casino. It came to my mind. Uh, I just said it. And the guy, the one guy who was lo- really looked dead in the eyes, he looked me straight in the eye. And I swear to God, and again, I'm going to curse so so you can lower it if you have the kids in the car. He goes, I'm going to fucking kill you. <laughs> and it was not a joke. It was not a joke at all. Like, I mean, there was no hint of humor. And uh, and and at that point, the, uh, the the bouncers came over and asked these folks to leave. So here's where it gets bad. Uh, later that night, <laughs> Sorry, <it> gets bad. <laughs> okay. later that night, uh, I'm with my brother, Joe, who's, uh, who works with me full time. He, he runs my company and he writes jokes with me and he's, he's kind of scolding me. He goes, Mike, you shouldn't have done that. You can't just call people's wives prostitutes. And I go, I know Joe, but I was in a jam. It wasn't my best moment. And these two women come over to our table and they say, are you guys looking for dates? And I realize they're the two women <laughs> from the front row. And, and it occurs to me that they are prostitutes and that those two men could be mobsters and I could be dead right now. And that's an entirely true story. And it really changed the way that I've dealt with hecklers to this very day. Because, because, of, the, because of the potential mobsters. The danger, the danger factor. Yeah, you don't think of comedian as being a dangerous profession, but I guess it can be. You said something else that borders on the political. I want to ask you what you meant by it in one of your shows. You said, Jesus would never win in the general, (laughs) meaning meaning the general election. Jesus would never win in the general. What do you mean by that? I think I said Jesus was the original Bernie Sanders. He was a Jewish socialist. And I say he Jesus would never win in the general election. No, I mean, I would look, I was raised Catholic. I always tell this joke I was I was an altar boy as a kid, and the answer is no, I wasn't. And I think it's because they knew I was a talker. I have that look about me. But yeah, that's uh, I was raised Catholic, and 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 so I do think about even though I'm not a practicing Catholic, I do think about Jesus quite a bit and how the party that sort you know the Republican Party that sort of owns Jesus, so to speak, and or or politicizes Jesus, uh, doesn't really uh, practice a lot of uh, what what Jesus would do if Jesus were a politician. Do you have a favorite joke? <laughs> of mine or someone else's? One of yours and then someone else's. Okay. So one of someone else's, like Mitch Hedberg is my favorite comedian of all time. Mitch Hedberg 
is uh, he passed away when he was 37. Very sad tragedy. He died, you know, he died young. Um, but he has these great albums that people want to listen on Spotify or Pandora or whatever they have. His first album was called Strategic Grilling Locations. And he has a lot of one-liners. Like he, he says, I am pretty good at tennis, but I will never be as good as the wall. The wall is relentless. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I just love, I love that joke because it's so short and economical. That's uh, a very Stephen Wright kind of joke. Very Stephen Wright. Stephen Wright, of course, is the first comedian I ever saw live when I was 16. And really, that's what gave me the bug for being a comedian. And one of my favorite Stephen Wright jokes is he says, uh, I went to a drive-in movie in a cab. Movie cost me $95. <laughs> you, and I were, you and I were trading favorite Stephen Wright jokes uh, yesterday. Another one that I like is I have quite a large seashell collection that I keep scattered on the beaches of the world. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I love that. I love that. All right, favorite joke of yours? Favorite joke of my own? Oh, man. Um, <laughs> one of, I'll tell you, I don't know. I don't have a favorite. I'll tell you one of my first jokes I ever wrote was I was on the subway and there was this guy and he was crying over a book. He was just crying. And I leaned over and I go, you don't know how to read either, huh? <laughs> it's really stupid i mean it's so stupid but i i, I have a fondness for it because it was one of the first jokes i ever wrote there's a role for very stupid jokes there's one when i was an adult that i got told a friend of mine said to me ask me if i'm a car <laughs> i said are you a car and he said no <laughs> oh that's very funny <laughs> it's it's no it's not it's very stupid it's ridiculous but it, but it, but it, but it cracks me up but it is true sort of going back to what your conversation with President Obama was about, is poo and poop universally funny across all demographic lines? I think poop uh, crosses the comedic spectrum. I think it's funny for kids. It's funny for my daughter. I think it's funny if you're 100 years old. I think uh, sex, I think sex and poop and bodily functions <laughs> are always good fodder for humor. However, because they're used so often, you always have to raise the game and do better than the last poop joke that someone else heard or the last sex joke someone heard. So like I have a new joke about sex. I have an, I'll tell you an old joke I have about sex. I go, uh, sex is like pizza. When it's good, it's good. When it's bad, it gets on your shirt. <laughs> And that's sort of an old, stupid pizza, <laughs> sex and pizza joke. Um, yeah, yes, from the I sex and pizza files. Um, <laughs> I have a lot of pizza jokes. Uh, well, tell us another pizza joke. I'll tell you another pizza joke that I'm working on these days, which is I have a I have a pizza problem, which is to say that when I see a pizza, I can only view it as a single serving. And more often than not, it's designed by the chef for three or four people, uh, which is the subject of a documentary I'm working on called Three People, Eight Slices. And uh, <laughs> that's all I got so far on that. <laughs> no, I, I, think that has, I think that has promise. Thanks again for becoming a member of Cafe Insider. Listen to the Cafe Insider podcast on Tuesdays with me and Ann Milgram and stay tuned every Thursday. 